Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the letter to Ephesians chapter 3. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. O God, tell us what we need to hear and show us what we ought to do to obey Jesus Christ. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1. This is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. For surely you have already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given me for you, and how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I wrote above in a few words, a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. Of this gospel I have become a servant, according to the gift of God's grace that was given me by the working of his power. Although I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to me to bring the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has carried out in Jesus Christ our Lord, in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in him. I pray, therefore, that you may not lose heart over my sufferings for you. They are your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, First Prayers, and God bless you. Thank you for joining us in worship. Thank God for the reading of Holy Scripture. Happy New Year, First Prayers. Happy New Year. 2020 is behind us, and 2021, an untrammeled 2021 is before us with all of its blessings and its battles that are yet to be known. And if there is anything that we're learning from the previous year, it is this. We are a vulnerable people when it comes to the future, and only God knows what lies ahead. Only God can see around the corner, and God has the full view on 2021. And so I would, again, encourage you to join me in putting your life in the hand of God and in the care of God instead of worrying about what we can't see. So as we come to the Word of God today and as we come to the communion table, I want to encourage you in these scriptures that were just read. And you notice in the reading that the word mystery was mentioned at least four times in the text. And there are many mysteries in the Bible. 
there are things you and I will never know in this life until we are in the presence of God and however God chooses to reveal those mysteries to us. There are many mysteries. For example, what was God doing in the book of Job? You know, there's so much mystery surrounding that book. There are things in that book that we don't understand. Another mystery that I have often wondered about is who wrote the Pentateuch? Who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament? And I could give you many reasons why it's not clear. And then another mystery that people have stumbled over for centuries is when will the Lord Jesus return? There are some mysteries that no one knows except God. But then there are some mysteries that are revealed. And I want to use that word very carefully, the word revealed, because the thing about a mystery is that it is something that is known to God, but not known to us. And the only way we can know what God wants us to know is when God reveals it to us. There are hidden truths that God must reveal to us, and that's the only way we will know it. So in our text, as we go through God's word this morning, I want to talk to you about two mysteries. Here's the first one. First one is, can God be known? And that's always been a mystery for centuries. People have looked up at the sky and seen the sun and the moon and the stars. They look at themselves, they look at creation, and they wonder, how did we get here? And the question of, is there a God, and who is this God, and how should this God be worshipped, wasn't always clear. When Moses asked God, who shall I say sent me? Now Moses is going to Pharaoh, and Moses wants to know, when I get before Pharaoh, who should I tell him has sent me? And God said to him, tell Pharaoh, I am that I am has sent you. Now, I don't know, I've studied that over and over, and I've read numerous commentaries and the works of scholars, and it's not always very clear what that statement means. I am that I am has sent you. And then you read in the Gospel of John, where John says, No eye has ever seen God. But on this first Sunday of the year where we celebrate Epiphany, we can now with great certainty say that we can know God because the revelation of God in Jesus Christ is shining brightly into our sin-darkened world. Again, John says, No one has ever seen God but God the only Son. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? God the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, has made him known. And Jesus got into a lot of trouble when he said words like, I and the Father are one. Jesus got into a lot of trouble when he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, God is no longer this mystery, so to speak. We can know aspects of who God is because God has revealed himself through Scripture, and that Scripture points to his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And on this Epiphany Sunday, we remember the wise men who followed that light all the way to Bethlehem, and when they found the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, they got on their knees and they worshipped this child, God in the flesh, Jesus our Messiah. 
John says this of Jesus, our Messiah. In him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of all people. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not overcome it. And so Epiphany is this, is this season of the light of God shining brightly and uncovering that which was once hidden and is now known. And that mystery of who is God is now answered in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. But there is another mystery, a second mystery, and we see this in today's reading. Paul picks up another mystery and here's how he describes this mystery in Ephesians 3 and verse 5. He says, in former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So there's something going on here that is hidden, that was not revealed, that was not known. And now through the apostles and the holy prophets, it is now being revealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, what is this mystery? And you go to chapter 3 and verse 6, that, that this is the mystery, that the Gentiles have become fellow heirs. They've become members of the same body and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so when you go back to Ephesians chapter 2, you'll notice that Paul is describing a relationship between Jews and Gentiles that has been conflictual even to this day. That there was enmity and there was division and there was this, this total separation of these two groups of people. And then you read in Ephesians 2 and verse 12, where Paul says, Remember that you were at that time without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise. You had no hope. You are without God in the world. And then you get to verse 13 of Ephesians 2. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For Jesus is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. Brothers and sisters, this is what Epiphany is all about. Unveiling that which was once hidden. Unveiling that which was once unknown and making it clear. And here we're discovering that the Gentiles, who were thought to be not a people, who were thought to be without God and without hope, have now been brought into the action, so to speak, that God has saved them and God has delivered them and God, and let's say us, and included us into his family through the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. This truth was once hidden. It's hidden no longer. God sent his son as the revelation of God in the flesh and he condemned sin by his sacrifice on the cross. And by his sacrifice on the cross, Paul says, he broke down the walls, he opened up the door, he removed the barriers, he destroyed the enmity that existed between Jews and Gentiles. Notice what he says again in chapter 3, verse 10, so that through the wisdom of, that so that through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety, 
might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. And that's just a beautiful scripture. Because just as the light of the star revealed the birthplace of Jesus, just as God was revealed through Jesus the Messiah, the light of the gospel is now living and being proclaimed through the church. And the church is now being called into this, into this action of revealing God's gracious plan for all people. The church is the place where this unity between Jews and Gentiles would be incarnated and seen. And in a sense, what I hear Paul doing is he's handing on the baton of the gospel proclamation to the church. That the church then, as a community of people who are saved and reconciled, it becomes this, this platform, this theater, where we publicly demonstrate and display God's power and God's grace and God's wisdom. This is what the church is now called upon to do. This has been a, a very tough year in our country, hasn't it? A very difficult year where we've seen the church divided around race. We've seen the church divided around politics. We've seen the church divided around theology and, and, and worship and so many other things. And, and, and God is saying to us this morning that this is not my plan. That you are my multiracial, you are my multicultural community, you are my beautiful tapestry. I want to showcase you as the light through which the light of the gospel will shine brightly. And so that people will come to know me. No other human community resembles this in its diversity and its harmony. We're God's new society, as John Stott likes to say, and the many-colored fellowship of the church is a reflection of the many-colored wisdom of God. That just blows me away. And so then as the gospel spreads throughout the world, this is what the world begins to see, that the church then brings peace. The church brings love. The church brings justice. The church brings healing. The church is concerned with the cries of the poor, the cries of the dispossessed, that the church brings into this broken world the very heart of God. So that when people say, where is God? Does God care? The answer is yes, they will look and they will see us in action as the people bringing the message of God to a hurting world. Now, I think that's the reason why the enemy's agenda is so targeted against the church, that the church recognizes, that the devil recognizes the importance of God's mission within the church, and he does everything he can to divide congregations, to bring down pastors and leaders, to cause churches to, to focus on the wrong things, to become focused on building or money, and never focus on the mission become this cloistered community instead of a community that is aggressively reaching out and sharing God's plan of salvation to the world. That's God's plan. And I like to say that that is God's ideal plan. But here's what's real. Here's what's happening on the ground that you and I must be aware of. Let me tell you a story, a true story. Many years ago, 
after completing my course of study at, at Duke University, I was asked to interview for a position at a church in Ashbury, in Asbury, I'm sorry, Ashborough, North Carolina. And initially we did a couple of uh, phone interviews. I talked with the search committee on the phone and they felt very good about the progress we were making. And then they invited me to meet them in person. They said, you know what, we'll come up to Evanston, to, to Durham. Durham, not Evanston, we'll come up to Durham uh, to meet you. And so I picked out a restaurant that was sort of on the edge of, uh, of Durham. It was a, um, a Red Lobster restaurant and I got there early and I went in and took my seat. I, I positioned myself so that I could look out the window and see who's coming into the parking lot. But I was also positioned where I could see who was coming into the restaurant. And after a while, I saw a group of about six people with manila folders walking up toward the restaurant. They came in, they stood, they were talking to the host and they were looking around, looking around. And I said, I bet that's the committee. So I got up and I walked over to them with big smile and I said, hi, I bet you're the folks from, and I won't name the church, I am Ray Hilton. And it's as if the air went out of the room. And you could see this look come over their faces. And I knew what that meant. So I led them back to my table and we ordered lunch. And we engaged in a very awkward conversation over lunch. And once the lunch was over, the chair of the committee said, Reverend, we just have to be honest with you. We have never, we have not had a black family living in our town since Reconstruction. So I just want to be honest with you, Reverend, this is not going to work. And uh, I said to them, you know, I understand. And I pray that God will lead you to the right person. And with that, the committee left and they headed back and I headed home to Judith and I told her what happened. And I still remember feeling sad, not for myself, but I felt sad for them because maybe they haven't read Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. It's clear to me that the light of the gospel, proclaiming Christ's death and resurrection for Jews and Gentiles, for men and women, for people of all cultures and ethnicities is yet to shine brightly into this congregation and over the minds of the people and the leaders of that congregation. While I was still living in Durham, I, I had opportunities to preach at all kinds of churches while a student. And I remember I was guest preacher at a Methodist church in Durham. And before the service started, the pastor told me of a time in this church's history when the ushers would stand at the door of this Methodist church and they would block the path. They would physically remove anyone who wasn't white from coming into their church. And I looked at him and I felt like I was in another planet. And he said, you know, pastor, it is true. He said, you, you and he pointed out the window and you see that burial out there, that burial, uh, the church burial plot that we have the history of our church, we have never ever allowed anyone other than those who were white 
to be buried in those grounds. And I thought to myself, how backward, how blind, that they, you may not have been able to bury a black or a Hispanic or some other person in those grounds, but those people died and they're in heaven. And it's this idea, maybe it's this idea that somehow when they get to heaven, there's gonna be a white heaven and there's gonna be a black heaven and there's going to be this, this Jewish heaven and, and so on and so forth. And they don't realize when you read Revelation because of the ministry of the church, because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, John said, I looked and I saw a multitude that could not be numbered, people from every tribe, people from every nation, people from every language under the earth, and they were singing the song of the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain who was dead, but now is alive. And I felt sad for that church and the retelling of that church's history. Because again, this mystery that has been revealed somehow has not been revealed to them, that God wants through the church to, to display his variegated, his manifold wisdom to the nations. So the lesson from today's reading on this Epiphany Sunday is about the centrality of the church in God's plan to reveal Christ to all people. I've been a pastor for a long time. I've been around churches for a long time. And I've met people who construct a Christianity which consists entirely of a relationship to Jesus Christ and has virtually nothing to do with the church. And these people tell me with a very serious look that I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church. And I'm telling you, if you read Ephesians 3 very carefully, that is not God's plan. I've been around the church long enough where I have met a lot of people here in First Pres who embrace membership in the church. And for them, their names are on the rolls of the church, but beyond that, that's all it is. I'm a member of so-and-so church, but to be a member of the body of Christ, to be engaged in the mission of God as the church, showing out the wisdom of God through Jesus Christ, these people have no desire, no intention of doing that. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, that is not God's Plan. I've been around the church long enough to hear people criticize the church and dismiss the church because the church is too Pentecostal. The, you know, they call us the frozen chosen. They play too many hymns. They pray too many praise songs. They don't do worship the way I want to do it. And so they leave and they go to find the most perfect church. And I'm here to tell you, friends, that every church in every place at every time is in need of reform, is in need of renewal. But we need to be aware that lest we despise the church of God and we're blind to the work of God through the church, we need to remember that God has never abandoned his church. Just go back and read Revelation 2 and 3, that in the messiness of all of those churches, 
Jesus is standing in the midst of those churches. Yes, in some situations, he, he chastises them for their behavior. And he says, you need to wake up. And if you have an ear, hear what the Spirit is saying. And you need to bring forth works that prove you're changing. But Jesus is still standing in the midst of his church. He's not abandoned his church, even though he might be displeased with his church. God is still building. God is still renewing. God is still refining his church. And I often say to people, my brothers and sisters, if the living God who created the church has not abandoned his church, how can we abandon God's church. It is the central place in God's plan before Jesus returns. And Paul was so convinced of this that Paul says, I am a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ for the sake of the mission, for the sake of the Gentiles. He said, I'm the least of the apostles, but God in his wisdom chose me and gave me his power so that I can bear witness to his gospel to the Gentiles. He said, he called himself a servant. He called himself a diaconus, a minister, according to the gift of God's grace and God's power. Paul was so convinced of that. He was all in all in. And as we begin a new year, I'm praying. I'm even fasting. I'm encouraging you to commit to this local body that we call the church. I think 2020 has been a, a real lesson in what is the church. We haven't been able to sit in these pews for almost a year. And it's telling us, as we heard a few weeks ago from Pastor Amanda's sermon, that God doesn't want to dwell in a building. And when he talks about the temple of the living God, he's talking about you and me. He's talking about the church, that God indwells us. As we begin a new year, I want to encourage you to recommit yourself to this local body that we call First Prayers because we've got work to do. God has put this church on a platform, this, this local body of believers on a platform so that through us, we might show to Evanston, we might show to Chicago that hate isn't part of our community. We might show to Chicago what the real meaning of love is. We might show to Evanston what it means to value human beings, no matter what their zip code is. We might show to Evanston that life matters to God, whether it's a baby in the mother's womb, whether it is an elderly person who is lying on a bed in a nursing home, that these people are human beings and they matter to God. I ask you to join me in that mission of being the church, showing forgiveness, showing forbearance, walking in the fruit of the Spirit, demonstrating the power of God, not just in word, but in deed and in demonstration with signs and wonders, so that those who are yet to believe will come to know Jesus Christ. And then I thought to myself, before we come to the communion table, I thought this to myself, what happens when the church becomes truly an outpost for God's work in the world? I mean, that's what we're reading. That is the mystery that is now being revealed. It was hidden. Paul saw it. Paul did his ministry. He passed the baton onto the church. 
What happens when a church picks up that baton and really does God's work in the world? Well, here's the first thing. People are going to be saved. And I want to know that people are being saved before I even know whether their name is on the church roll. I want to know that you are saved and your name is written down in God's book. That's going to happen when the church does God's work. And the church is going to grow. You know, we want the church to grow, but the church is going to grow when the body sees itself as an outpost of God's kingdom work. And what that means is the numbers of those who call themselves Christians will grow. And we will reflect to a skeptical world. Look at those people. They've got a Jamaican pastor. They've got other pastors who are from, or from Oregon, from New Jersey. They've got members from all over the world. It's such a, such a mixed bunch of people. And yet look at the unity in their diversity. What are we missing? Look at the power of their unity. And the skeptic will say, what are we missing? I want to be a part of that. What happens when the church takes God's work seriously? The needs of the hurting, the needs of the hungry, and the discouraged, and the sick, and the lost, and the homeless, and the lonely. All these kinds of people will be brought in and they will be blessed. And Jesus said, I want my house, I want my people to represent a place, a kingdom for all nations. We'll be able to fulfill that when the church takes God's call and God's work seriously. So may God cause us to see that the church is indeed God's plan for the spreading of the light and the reaching of the world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not about the business of First Presbyterian Church, guys. We're about the business of the kingdom of God working through First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. That is the light. That is the mystery now that needs to be dispelled in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>